they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Bilodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes! yes. is off the podium an olympics podcast coming to you again today for another great interview we are speaking to australian olympic short track speed skater brendan corey competed at the beijing 2022 winter olympics in the 500 and the 1000 and this is a great chat with brendan goes into a lot of detail about how he got into the sport growing up in canada why he came and competed for australia instead of Canada at the Olympics, as well as how he got poached by a great Australian short track speed skater and just everything else in between. This is a really interesting chat, learning a lot about Brendan, also learning a lot about the training in short track speed skating, which we always love to talk about too, the strategy, his experiences in Beijing, as well as learning about how he went to the opening ceremony, but very much nearly missed it. And also his love of another sport, which excites me, which is always a good thing because apparently... It becomes about me in these interviews, and uh, that's apparently how I like it, even though we know you don't like it. But anyway, not about me for once. Let's hear our chat with Brendan Corey, Australian Olympic short track speed skater. Very excited to be able to welcome our next guest to the show. Recently competed in the Beijing Olympics in the great sport of short track speed skating, a sport that, as many Australians know, have a bit of a decorated history in it, some famous moments. Uh, did very well in those Olympics his first time and has also recently just competed in the World Championships. And I'm very intrigued to learn a whole lot more about his journey through the sport and also his journey from one country, which is very closely related to this show, to another country that is very closely related to this show, I do, of course, speak of the one, the only Mr. Brendan Corey, and he's with me right now. Brendan, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. G'day. Uh, pleasure G'day. To be here. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I was going to say, like, we can get, like, some sort of Canadian crossover, like a g'day A, but I don't know if that really works. That's a that's a weird sentence I don't think I should have ever said, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, that, that kind of uh, works that way. But uh, it's it's exciting to have you here, Brendan. We actually had uh, Stephen Bradbury on a couple of weeks ago to talk about his career and obviously many Australians listening or watching to this thing of short track, the thing of Stephen Bradbury. But obviously your journey is a little bit different growing up, being born in, in Canada, New Brunswick to be precise, which is where we're talking to you tonight from as well. So I'd love to learn how, how do you get involved in, in short track? Because I can imagine maybe a bit more common to get involved in short track in Canada than it is maybe for, for Australians. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know about that. Well, when I was a young kid, I I was in hockey. My dad was a hockey player growing up, so he he put me in the hockey program here. And then after a couple of years of, of hockey, um, I just decided I don't care where the puck is. I just want to skate fast. So <laughs> <laughs> that's when... Uh, we found short track and loved it ever since. Perfect. Which it's, it's kind of always interesting. I think when it comes to the disciplines of obviously speed skating, long track, short track. Um, I mean, is, is short track 
I guess something that a lot more say hockey players, if they had that opinion, like I just want to skate fast, it's something that's easier to transition to than long track because you're on sort of maybe a, a similar size rink as opposed to a long track, which I can imagine is almost, it's a little yeah. bit different to short track, right? And I don't know if hockey players would really go into yeah. long track. Well, I guess the reason that it's more accessible is because there's not many long track rinks in the world. It's much easier to do pick up short track because all you need is a hockey rink. So <laughs> the number of hockey rinks to long track rinks is quite a lopsided number, but yeah. And to me, I like just the, the speed of the tight corners and short track. So <laughs> that would, that's really that way. the, what's the word? The, I can't find the word, but uh, yeah, that's <laughs> really what intrigued me with the sport and why I keep doing it. Just the, the tight corners, the being so close to every the other racers and just, you know, duking it out uh, <laughs> on the track. Which it's, it's, it gets a bit physical too, like short track is kind of not necessarily like hockey, but I mean, you're not really pushing people away in long track unless it's the yeah. mass start, right? And that's only kind of new. So, I mean, you know, uh -huh. you've got a bit of that competitiveness, as you're saying there, as opposed to the, the long track. Yeah, I'd say short track is one of the most physical non-contact sports there are out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of describing it, the, the physical non-contact. Which So what age were we talking? So sort of, you know, when you're starting in hockey and you decide to make that transition to short track, how old were you when that happened? Yeah, I was eight years old when I decided to make the switch to uh, short track. And I just um, found one of the local clubs here. Um, in New Brunswick. Um, I grew up in Fredericton, so that was the club where everything started <laughs> for me. <laughs> Great. And is it was it a scene in terms of if you're getting into short track in Canada, is New Brunswick a, a known province for short track or is it sort of one of the, the more smaller ones where maybe there's not as many skaters as there are in some of the, the, the larger or more populated provinces? Um, yeah, well... Short track is definitely more popular in Quebec and even Ontario, just because there's more people in the in those provinces. So just by that fact alone, you're going to have more people involved. I'd say um, provincially, at least when I was growing up, New Brunswick always seemed to fare quite well. So we we had a good um, provincial program for what for being such a small province. And then, yeah, I learned basically all the basics uh, growing up at the local club here. And I skated with them all throughout grade school and secondary school or high school, <laughs> as right. they call it in Canada. So, yeah. And then once I got a little older, I started to... I moved to Montreal to skate with um, some of the top skaters in Canada. Went from there, which it's it's yeah. fascinating because I can imagine at that period as well that Canada, if I'm not mistaken, based on when you were born and your age and everything on those lines, obviously the Vancouver Olympics were sort of, I guess, around that period coming in that there as well. So was yeah, there a yeah. lot more interest in sort of these Olympic sports? And, I mean, obviously Canada's a very big winter sports nation, but something like short mm -hmm. track, was it – taking on something a little bit different, whether the participation, the competitiveness, things were a little bit different to say maybe now when you're not really preparing for a home Olympics as such. Yeah, well, the Vancouver 
Olympics was really my first big exposure to watching short track at uh, the highest level. Um, so yeah, it really um, got me even more intrigued and inspired me to become the athlete I am today. Great. Because it, it takes over a whole country, obviously, when an Olympics is in your home country. I mean, I've talked a lot on this show about I was 13 when Sydney was on and whether you like the Olympics or not, like the whole country just goes absolutely crazy for the Olympics. And I can imagine yeah. that obviously Canada was in the grips of that too. So, and particularly if you're in a sport, as you said, kind of like that's what you're doing. So was that then when like a light went off in your head that I want to do this, I want to go to an Olympics one day? Yeah. I mean, I, it was always in the back of my mind, but growing up, I, I wasn't certain that I, you know, I'd ever get to that level. Really. Um, I just kept pursuing it and I kept improving every year. So, so yeah. <laughs> kind of kept going along that way too. What was, what was yeah. your dad's reaction when you said, Hey dad, um, don't want to do hockey anymore. I just want to skate fast. Like was it, was he supportive of <laughs> his like, No, 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 no. Don't be stupid. Yeah, You're going to yeah. keep, keep playing hockey. <laughs> well, yeah. He was a little bit upset at first, but I mean, my heart wasn't in the, the hockey. So we, yeah, my parents are very supportive of my um, speed skating career. Fantastic. And they, yeah. Been really supportive of me and uh, I couldn't have done it without their support. Great. Great. I've got to ask a question as a hockey player starting in New Brunswick, what's the general team that people go for? Like are you close to Montreal? So are you straight away a Habs fan or like, does it depend on your parents? <laughs> like, I mean, like how does that, uh, like, who do you go for? <laughs> I would not consider myself a hockey fan. I, I don't really follow the sport <laughs> all that closely. I mean, I'll, I enjoy watching a, a live game, but I wouldn't, uh, do more than that. I, I don't have a team. Uh, I don't watch, go out of my way to watch it on TV or anything like that. So <laughs> there you go. And that's why you came to Australia. Uh, you got deported. <laughs> that's what you're saying, Bradley. You you can't not like <laughs> hockey. You can't go to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it worked. Which is there a? I mean, you say you know you like the the skating fast aspect of it. When you transition and you take up the sport. Seriously, besides the obvious I can think of, of you don't have a stick anymore, you don't have to chase after a puck, you're skating fast. What are some of the, the biggest challenges that you then find from that transition? And, and did you find it challenging yeah. from going from hockey into speed skating? Yeah, well, honestly, I was at the, I was so young that it, there wasn't really much of a transition phase to me. Um, <laughs> I was basically still learning to skate when I was in my, my hockey years, it was just <laughs> <laughs> go out and uh, skate around on the hockey rink with the stick and a puck versus speed skating, skating around on the, <laughs> in the circle. So my first year I was speed skating, I was still skating in hockey skates and a, <laughs> a caged wow. helmet. So <laughs> <laughs> at that age, it, it's a pretty, pretty easy transition. <laughs> Which I guess that makes it easier then. So, so when you're going through that and you kind of, I guess you get to a point where I don't say you forget playing hockey, but it's sort of more your life has then been on the, the skating point. It's like, oh yeah, I used to play hockey. I remember yeah, exactly. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't get quite advanced enough with the hockey to, <laughs> to, uh, um, to 
forget those skills because I never really learned any hockey skills really. <laughs> Which then does that, were you, were you playing other sports at the same time? So like, was it just hockey and then skating and nothing or like, oh, say- yeah, growing up, uh, I did quite a lot of sports growing up, um, throughout grade school. I did some basketball, some track and field. Um, I even did wrestling for one year in high school. So I, Tried, tried a lot of various different sports and uh, short track was the one I always kept going back to. Fantastic. All Olympic sports too, Brendan, I'm seeing there as well. So it's kind of like just, you know, kind of te- testing the waters when it came to that. Yeah, exactly. Which, how then does it work in Canada when you're going through the ranks? So, you know, is it a case of things like provincial championships? I mean, you say you move to Montreal, so then like you, you have like a club or then like just how... Mm-hmm do you sort of race through the ranks that you get from point A to going to a junior world championships or a Canadian champion, things like that? How does a progression system work with that? Um, yeah. So just when I was really young growing up, we just traveled to provincial competitions within um, the province, getting to skate with other, other skaters, my age in um, New Brunswick and some of the other maritime provinces would, um, come over as well, you know, Nova Scotia, PEI, those um, countries would come over because it's close. <laughs> so they would come over to Brunswick, skate with us. And then as I started getting older um, in high school, then um, I started going to yeah, junior, Canadian junior competitions. And um, yeah, so every country has to, sorry, every province has to qualify for that. So like within their province, they do their own um, provincial championships first to decide who they're going to send to the to the Canadian championships, and then yeah, from there at the Canadian championships, they decide you know their junior teams and um, senior teams. So that's that kind of how I transition that way. I just slowly move up through the ranks of uh, competitions. And as you're going through those ranks, I mean, obviously your mother's got those ties to Australia and we'll get sort of how that led to you representing Australia at an Olympics and not Canada, but are you envisioning purely a maple leaf on you competing in an Olympics? I mean, was there ever any prospect during <laughs> rising the ranks that there was a possibility of maybe competing um, for Australia or just not, not those? Yeah, not when I was young. I mean, I only really started to realize that could be an option as I got older university age and um, was getting to become more familiar with the international side of racing. I mean, when I'm growing up um, (laughs) through grade school, I wasn't thinking of going to Australia. That was, hadn't even come into my mind yet at that point. So yeah, it was uh, only came to me later in my career that I realized that could be a potential option. And was it when you say potential option and when you realize that, like, I I don't want to make this sound disparaging because it's not in any way, (laughs) but like, is that like a backup option as in like, as in Canada's a lot more competitive than Australia. So if I can't reach a certain level, I can go over Australia. Or is it a case of really that it, it just, it's an option that is there should certain things fall a certain way? Yeah, more the the latter version what you said not that uh, 
it would be an easier team to make. Although <laughs> I can agree with that. The Canadian team is much more competitive than the Australian team, but more so just a potential backup in case I had any roadblocks or something unforeseen along the way came up that I could always use that as a, <laughs> as an option. <laughs> because something at the end of the day, it, to, to qualify for an Olympics, you've still got to reach a certain level. It's not just a simple case of like, yeah. oh, I'm just right. going to go compete for Australia because they've got a designated quota. Like you've still got to achieve no, yeah. the qualifying yeah. period to get there. So exactly, I qualified for the Olympics based on my own ability. Yeah. Yeah. Not it's just, just simply a case of Australia has a spot Australia, ready to go. No, yeah. there, no yeah. countries are were confirmed any mm-hmm. spots for this Olympics. Every Everyone at the Olympics earned their spot, at least Which in short time. Are you, I mean, it's obviously Canada has a, you know, storied history in, in the short track program at the Olympics and, and in Australia, you know, we, we've won a couple of medals, but obviously ours come in different circumstances. But <laughs> before you, before you ended up meeting Richard and we'll talk about that, of course, like, were you familiar with like the story of Stephen Bradbury? Cause I feel that's a story that most non-Australians yeah. still know the guy who won the goal, everyone falling over. And is that something that with your connections to Australia, you sort of looked as, you know, like, okay, <laughs> this guy's weirdly inspirational because he has a great inspirational story but it's just something that you were at least aware of i can imagine yeah yeah of course everyone in the <laughs> in the speed skating community i'm sure has has heard of that uh, story i knew about about that um when i was still in high school i think just uh, after watching the the vancouver olympics on tv i went and <laughs> and started to look up more short track events just on youtube and i found that one and i just yeah i couldn't believe that race and <laughs> and what happened there it was incredible and you're then eventually going to be coached by one of his teammates of course that uh he won mm-hmm. a bronze with back in how, how did you meet richard of course we're talking about um richard nazelski i mean how, how did that yes. come about and sort of was he the one that really then was recruiting you hard to to come and compete mm-hmm. for australia instead yeah, so I was living in Montreal at the time. Um, I would have been 21, 22, somewhere around there. So the World Junior Championships was taking place in Montreal. So I was too old to be competing that, obviously, but I just went down to to watch. And that's when I met Richard and then... We just started talking and then <laughs> um, he's, he meant, brought up the fact that uh, Australia was trying to rebuild their short track program to the success they had in the late 90s, early thousands. And, uh, you know, I thought that could be a, a uh, great opportunity to pursue. And that's kind of when I really got into my head, okay, I can actually see myself uh skating for australia in the future so yeah i think that was 20 2019 when i met richard and then 2020 i went to australia for the first time to go skate uh, skate in australia with some of the other Aussies and and with richard in melbourne Wow. And then something happened in 2020. I don't know what happened then. The, the, the change of, uh, people might have heard. I think it was COVID or something like that, wasn't it? But, it, I mean, that's obviously 
good timing though i can imagine sort of it's not like he's coming to you i guess in december 2021 like two months out from an olympics i mean he's sort of come yeah. to you at, at, a, at a point and like were you at a point then with your skating that beijing was becoming a goal be it for australia or canada like at that point where you is that yeah. what you were going towards was 2022 for an olympics yeah so yeah i could see myself that i really wanted to try to get to the olympics i was moving up in the ranks in Canada, I was actually on the Canadian development team at the time and Richard uh, met with me for the first time. So yeah, if, uh, yeah, I can see myself, uh, I don't know, either, either on the Canadian team or the Australian team at that point, I still was looking at both options when I, I first met him. So <laughs> Let's be honest. The only reason why you couldn't get on the Canadian team is because Charles Hamlin bloody wouldn't retire. Like, oh, I'm retiring these Olympics. I'm retiring <laughs> these Olympics. And finally, like, I mean, we, no one believes him right now that he's retiring, right? He's, he's bullshit. Yeah. He'll be there in Milan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, there's actually a bit of politics behind, behind that. So the 2019, at the end of the 2018-2019 season, just after I met Richard, before the Canadian nationals, I got a concussion and I was unable to compete to earn my spot on the Canadian team that year. And it was, I mean, days before the competition started. Uh, I mean, I was devastated. And when the doctor says, uh, I don't think you should compete, I have to listen to the doctor, of course. So, I mean, I'm not going to go against the doctor's words and compete. I was, I thought I had a very good chance of making the Canadian national team again that next season. I mean, with the retirements after the Olympics and whatnot. Um, yeah, I thought I had a really good chance. And then, you know, the, I had got my concussion and then Canada didn't take me on their team. And I mean, I was pretty shocked <laughs> because they were taking athletes on their, on the Canadian team that I was consistently beating for the past three years. So, I mean, it really, uh, <laughs> It hit, it hit me hard. And, uh, yeah, that's at that point I realized, okay, I think, uh, Canada doesn't want me on their team for whatever reason. So that's when I started my transition to Australia. Which and did they then, back. would they then, is there a point <laughs> when they like come begging you back? Like it's all of a sudden you make the Olympics for Australia and then they go like, fuck, well, we fucked up here. We, we should have kept nope. you. No. Nope. Wow. Canada has not reached out. That's since, insane. Uh, since I which, decided I wanted to leave. Which I can imagine, I mean, you, you're born in a country, you grow up in a country, you, you've worn that country proudly on, on your clothing in, in international competition for them to, I guess, turn your back on you like that and then you go and represent mm. another country, which, I mean, yeah. is, how is that? Like how does that kind of like uh, something, yeah, you I know, mean, as it's... great as this go to an Olympics, but <laughs> you're not wearing the clothes you thought you would be wearing. I mean, uh Initially, it, it hurt um, because I did represent Canada at the Junior Worlds in um, 2016. So I already had a taste of kind of what it would be like to to wear the Canadian suit on the uh, on the highest level. But then, after you know, a couple months after Canada decided they didn't want me on their team, and I just thought, well, you know. It's a new opportunity. I don't care which flag I'm wearing on my back. I just, I just want to get to the Olympics. 
And now I'm even more proud to be wearing the Australian flag on my back because they've been supporting me and they want me on, on their team. And I feel like Australia has really welcomed me with open arms. And uh, yeah, I just feel like Australia is really happy that I'm here competing for them. We are. I'm saying that right now. We have a good habit mm-hmm. uh, of getting Canadians and making them winter athletes to be successful. If you're familiar with Dale Beg Smith winning a gold for us back in Turin, of course, uh, you know we're, yes. we're very good at taking Canadians and making them Olympic gold medalists. So I'm just saying now, Brendan, you, you got you got some good luck on your side. Come you know the next <laughs> few Olympics, so it will happen. Just you know, we're good at that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Which it, it then does it make you when you're competing up against Canadians? Like, do you get a bit like pissed off? Like you say, it's you know the the, the most physical non-contact sport out there. But you see a Canadian coming behind you, like fuck you, mate. I'm not like <laughs> at all. Like, I mean, if you're if you're from China or Hungary, maybe I wouldn't be as rough as I'm about to be on you, Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gives me a great satisfaction every time I beat a Canadian in a race. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> which it's just i mean i mean these are obviously guys too that you were your teammates uh, i'm guessing yeah i, I was teammates with all of these canadians at one point during my career wow i even went to world juniors with a couple of them wow <laughs> is, is there then much, I guess, um, smack talk out there on the ice? Like, is short track a sport where you are going just before you're lining up? Like, you know, mate, you suck. You're not going to win this. Like, you know, trash no, talking I, them a little there bit. there is <laughs> really not much trash talk going on. It's more just, uh, hey, good luck, um, that kind of thing. That, yeah, no no smack talk. It's not like hockey or any, any one of these other sports. <laughs> <laughs> Which, when you go back to sort of like working with Richard and meeting Richard, you know, you sort of mentioned obviously you, you sort of Googled and YouTubed and sort of looked at things like that. But were mm-hmm. you familiar or did you sort of go back and then look up Richard to see, I guess, his part and what he was in Australian, I guess, not only short track um, history, but Australian winter sports history? Yeah, of course. I mean, I <laughs> went and looked him up and thought, oh, oh you know, he's a he was a successful guy within the sport. So, I'm sure he knows what he's doing <laughs> and turns out he does. I mean, Richard uh, is absolutely fantastic. He's the best coach I've had. We just really connected. Uh, well, we work well together. Our personalities match really well. So we just really understood each other and everything he told me to do, I completely agreed with. And yeah, I'm in the best shape that I've ever been. <laughs> Great. Which, what, take us through a regular training week for a short track speed skater because, I mean, it just, of all the sports I look at at any Olympics, like short track and, and any speed skating, both short and long track, it just, leg day is obviously every bloody day, I can imagine. <laughs> like, I mean, you, you are constantly working on those things. But, I mean, is that is that your yep. focus for, like, every day of the gym week and maybe one day on something else? Because I can imagine it's pretty hectic. Um. Yeah, so pretty much... <laughs> Yeah, leg day every day, as you say. Skating itself is pretty physical in the legs. Um, I would get on the ice um, six days a week, um, sometimes twice a week. Let's say three or four times a week, I'd skate twice. And then Sunday would be rest day. And then be in the gym between two and three times a week. Um, So that would be basically leg day every time every day in the gym so that's you know deadlifts and squats um in the off season we'd work 
um, overall body, just so I'm not, uh, you know, a toothpick up top, but really during the season, we just focusing on legs and trying to stay lean everywhere else because the less weight I'm carrying on top is, uh, is more beneficial in short track. Um, so yeah, we're not really working chest and arms and, you know, those muscles. Um, and then in addition to the gym, I'd be on the bike. So if I'm not skating twice a day, I'm on the bike. So whether that be outside doing a longer ride between two or three hours or just even intervals on the, on a stationary indoors. Which does it then, there seems to be a lot of transition. Like when, when you do have, you know, summer and winter athletes transitioning, you see, I, I feel like it's always cyclists going into speed skating and speed skaters going into cycling. Like that seems uh-huh. to be a common transition. Does that make you want to take yeah. up cycling, Brendan, when you're doing so much bike work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought about it in the, in the past, if I'm going to be honest, but I don't know for now, I just want to stick with the short track the muscle groups between short track and cycling are quite similar. So that's why you see a lot of transition between those two sports. Although the, that push itself is different, whereas cycling's up and down and skating side to side, the muscles are the same, you know, your quads, glutes, those, those muscles are very important in both of those sports. When it, when it comes to the skating aspect, obviously going fast, I can imagine is pretty darn important in a sport called speed skating. But <laughs> when it comes to short track, Obviously, it's a bit more strategic with, I guess, the, the racing yeah. element. So are you working that with other skaters or like is there something that Richard can do or any coaching can do to kind of help you with the the racing element when maybe you don't have a group of people that you can constantly mm-hmm. race at full tilt with? Yeah, so this past season, I was training overseas in Salt Lake City with the U.S. national team. So I had some other skaters similar ability to mine i can train with you know practice the passing the strategies with them and also getting used to high speeds with them the facility there was was great they have a completely boardless rink so in australia there is no boardless rinks and what i mean by boardless is no hockey boards and just only the the padding around the outside. So if someone was to crash, it would break their fall rather than just slamming into the boards. So it's a lot, it's a lot safer to, to practice at these high speeds in uh, at a boardless rink. So when I am training in Australia with the, the hockey boards, I'm, I'm not training at high end speed. So the training is much different. Um, In that respect, um, yeah, so when I'm in Australia training, it's basically a lot of laps, but at a slower speed just to kind of build up the the base. And a lot of that base is even done on the bike per se because it's, you know, we only get an hour or so of ice time a week and uh, (laughs) – or sorry, a day, not a week. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, an hour of ice time at at a time, so – and we're not skating constantly for that whole hour. Whereas on the bike, we can just get out and ride for two, three hours at a time. So it's a lot easier to build that base. And yeah, so back to the question, I, I, I went on a little tangent there, but yeah. You're on the podium, Brendan, you, you're fitting in well. It happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, back to what I was saying. Um, yeah, I was training in Salt Lake City with uh, 
those guys. So yeah, they were able to push me and give me some good opportunity with the various different race strategies and passing and, and whatnot. So yeah, it was a, it was a, I was happy to be there training with them. And I think we both benefited from, I helped them and they helped me kind of thing. So it was beneficial to both groups. Which, I mean, this is one thing I love about the strategic element to any sport, but like, you know, short track, it's always fascinating watching it because I mean, you know, back to Bradbury, the, the strategy we all famously know from Stephen, of course, was the whole like hang back, you know, people fall over type of strategy, but it's like, it's how many <laughs> different type of strategies can you come up? Like, is, is it, is it dependent on the day? So like if, if you get drawn yeah. into a certain heat and you know, you're up against skater, mm-hmm. A, skater B, skater C, well, the strategy is going to change if I'm up against yeah, somebody yeah, else yeah. in the quarterfinals. So it's, it's constantly evolving. I can imagine on competition day. It, yeah, it really is. I mean, I know my strengths, so I know generally of what I'd like to achieve during the race, but then that can be tweaked based on who specifically is in the race. So before a race, you know, I would talk to Richard and we'd sit and we'd just sit down and say, okay, this guy, we think he's going to do this. And this guy, he's going to do this. And this guy is going to do, do this. And uh, (laughs) I'd say eight times out of 10, we're, we're correct on what everyone's going to do. So just from watching the previous races over the years, we can get a good feel of the various different, um, athletes and what they tend to stick with. So yeah, that's kind of what, what we do. I have a general idea going into the race of what I'm going to do. And then, you know, based on what happens in those first couple laps, things can change on the fly. So, you know, things don't go according to plan first couple laps. You got to be able to adapt really quick and uh, get your head back in the game, so to speak. And is Richard on the sideline, like, is he yelling at you? Like, if, if you're two laps yeah. in and all of a sudden things are like, he's gone like, plan B, plan B, like, like, and can you hear him, like, in a, <laughs> a loud arena with people screaming? <laughs> so, yeah, he is there standing on the sidelines. There is a little area for the coaches to stand to yell at the athletes. But <laughs> to, to be honest, most of the time <laughs> I don't hear very much of what's going on. I just cancel most of it out as, as white noise and I'm just – focused in on on what uh, what I need to get done that's why we have these conversations beforehand and talk about all these various different scenarios of what could possibly happen so you know if this happens then do this or if if this is going well you know do this so we do plan out beforehand two or three different strategies and then it's a to me to make the decisions on the fly. I'm sure Richard is for sure yelling at me on the sides. Cause I, I go back and watch the videos and that's all I can hear is Richard screaming. <laughs> it just something about being there in the moment. Uh, I just tone everything out and <laughs> focus and go that way. Does, does he still have the hair? Does he still have that crazy? Like, I just remember no, that from Lilla Harmer. How he shaved it all off. Damn. Oh, geez. That's, there's that image gone from 94. Uh, <laughs> I'll keep that image in my head. I'll, I'll be having that, that hair. But when, just on like watching tapes, is it, is it a sport where you are constantly rewatching it, not just for your own self, but like going back to where you're studying other skaters so that you mm-hmm. are kind of, you know, if you're drawn into a heat two days beforehand and you know who you're up against, so let's watch these skaters so we know what to expect. Yeah. I mean, that potential option is always there. They, the um, ISU records all the, the 
World Cup events and World Championships. So they're all on YouTube, free to watch for anybody. So, I mean, if you want to go back and search through the eight-hour live stream of the races to find, to find the 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 guy, don't tempt us. We're all Olympic geeks right now, Brendan. We're going to do it. <laughs> it. It takes a little bit of hunting to find it if you want to try to look for a specific person. But yeah, I mean, it's there, easily easily accessible to to go in and, and watch, and really even the same race can be watched four or five times over if you're just watching a specific person in the race. Yeah. So just off the first glance, you could be just watching whoever's in front most of the time. And then you're not seeing what's happening in the back and then someone making a late move to the front and you go, Oh, where did he come from? So that's another thing I like about rewatching these races. You, you get to see all these different strategies that people take. It's, it's a sport too that, you know, I think of long track where you've got a very big discrepancy between the smallest distance and the largest, you know, you've got a 500 meter versus a, a 10,000 meter. Whereas obviously mm-hmm. in short track, you've got a 500 meter and a 1500 meter, which I mean, doesn't really seem like there's much of a difference, mm-hmm. but obviously there's a significant amount more of laps to the 1500 to the 500. Yeah. Is it a case of you decide that you're going to be focusing on the longer, like the 1500 versus the 500, or do you always have to be versatile in short track where you kind of always have to be ready to, do all three yeah. and then maybe eventually do the, the relay if you've got enough teammates. Yeah. Short track is one of those sports where you need to be good at all the distances because even, you know, at the Olympics this season, there were many people who competed in all three. Um, so yeah, you can only send so many people to the Olympics. So if you have people who are consistently at consistently at the top in all these events, it's, it makes the, <laughs> it makes it much easier for the, for the country. And even like, for example, world championships that just went by two weekends ago, that is a cumulative event. So they add your points up from the three distances to declare the overall winner. And then the world championship results from this season carries over to next season for seeding purposes for the start of the season. Which then, but do you, obviously I can imagine have a preference. Like, I mean, like, oh, I hate mm-hmm. the 500, but I love the, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I can yeah. imagine. And is your preference, is it the 1000? Is that kind of your your favorite? That That's my favorite, yes. Um, you know, in the middle. So <laughs> it's pretty quick the whole way through. And there is an element of strategy. Whereas I find 500s basically just go as fast as you can for <laughs> four and a half laps. And the 1500, the thing, the thing about the 1500 is that most, most of the time it's meandering at the beginning of the race. And I don't know, there's something about, I just want to get going. So <laughs> it's, not that I'm, it's not that I'm impatient. I just want to, you know, I like pushing the pace um, up there. <laughs> going through that. Way. And, we, and then given the state, like obviously Richard's goal is to, you know, get Australian short track back to where we were, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but, have there been now that you competed for Australia rather than Canada, are there, have you been in like the 5,000 relay? Because like, I mean, that obviously I'm always, yeah. most Australians will have that very soft of their heart. Our first ever winter medal, which mm-hmm. it was a part of, but that's a great event to watch. Like I love is, watching yeah. the relays. Like, is that something you've been able to do at a big international competition? Unfortunately, no. Um, I would like to get into a 5,000, but first we're going to need some more substance in, in Australia. I mean, at its current state, if we were to send a, a relay team, it would just be 
I feel it would be me just catching up every time and then <laughs> and that sort of thing. But we're still working on building the program up, um, trying to get a couple more skaters um, up there at the, at the higher level. There's some coming up, hopefully. So we'll see where we, where we are in uh, two, three years time. Fingers hopefully crossed. we can have a, a relay going. <laughs> yeah, no, it'd be great to, great to see that. You go to Australia, you said. Now, so you, you said that was the first time you'd actually ever been to Australia as well? Like had you you'd yeah, not gone correct. there like yeah. previously? Wow. So what's that like then? Not only going mm-hmm. to compete for a new country, but you've never been to that country before. <laughs> like I'm sure your mum mm-hmm. and your, your you know family have told you stories about Australia, but I mean, mm-hmm. what's that like? Was it much of a culture shock coming to Australia? Uh-huh. Not really, to be honest. Um, I find there's a lot of similarities between Canada and Australia. Um, same language, so that helps out a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I didn't really find anything much different, to be honest, driving on the other side of the road, of course, but uh, <laughs> just check uh, twice before crossing and you're good. So, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't have any issues. Um, fitting in was it a shock with the facilities <laughs> it was the accent i'm sure how many times did you get called an american i can imagine that got a bit tiring yeah. after a while you know yeah. kind of going that way but like with things like the facilities like obviously you know you've come from a country where there's maybe 20 rinks in most cities to a country where there's only 20 mm-hmm. rinks in the entire country so like it's yeah. sort of must that's got to be a bit of a shock when you've gone to your first rink in australia to go oh this is a bit different to what i'm used to uh-huh yeah, so my the first rink I went to was in in Melbourne. That's where the Australian national team would train, but um, due to recent circumstances, that it, it was uh, unable to get everyone together in one central location, which is why I was training overseas this past year. Um, but yeah, um, training in Melbourne there, we have to put the the protective pads out before every session. I, and I mean, that's not uncommon because here in my local club in Fredericton, we would have to do that as well. So I was not unfamiliar with that sort of thing. It's just, you know, it felt, it feels like more like, um, how do I say more as a, as a rookie feeling yeah. than a higher level, just because we have to put out the, the pads, but, um, and yeah. And they always, uh, cut the ice well for us in, in Melbourne there. The ice was, I, I thought it was, it was all right. Um, for, for short track better than it, <laughs> the ice in Melbourne was better than it was in, in Sydney when I was skating there. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, I didn't find it was too bad to be honest. It's wasn't as fast or has as much glide as some other rinks that I've skated on in the past, but I mean, for what it was, it was, it was a, a good, good rink. Yeah. (laughs) And to to clarify as well, I guess that connection, that history to Australia. So your mother grew up in Australia and your grandparents, I believe, like your grandfather discovered gold or a town or something in Australia. Is that correct? Yeah. My grandfather helped to develop one of the the gold mines in Western Australia. Wow. Called the Plutonic Gold Mine. Wow. Have you did you have you visited it? Have you had an opportunity to go? I have not like been out? To, to Western Australia yet. No, unfortunately no. not. But hopefully, um, 
this winter I can uh, get over to to Perth and maybe drive down and see it. Yeah, that's epic. So, which, I mean, it must be then like, I guess, going back to that, so you've got family history in Australia, so kind of, you know, I, there's a bit of a, obviously the ties there with that, but it's, I mean, at what point sort of through that journey, whether it be, you know, coming to Australia, starting to, to see it, you know, training and that sort of stuff. But was there a point where you like, you go like, I'm Australian now. Like I, I'm, this is my goal. I'm going to Olympics. I'm going to wear the green and gold. Was, was, was there a moment or was it maybe when you got to the Olympics and you, you know, sort of there wearing the green and gold that that was kind of a realization. I think for me, the moment when I realized that I'm Australian is when I got my, my passport. That's when I felt nice. I am, I am a true Aussie citizen now and that that that's what did it for me <laughs> great which it's, it's it's it must be a special feeling then to like through all the issues you obviously had and unfortunately not making it to the Canadian team but again to be welcomed by a new country and as you said like it didn't really bother you what country you were wearing at Olympics to, to get to that and we'll talk about you qualifying for Olympics in just a moment but to have that acceptance to be like okay well this is little bit extra real now and that this 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 is potentially happening right now that these olympics are are a real opportunity for me and a real Mm -hmm. realistic chance yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean yeah it was a it was a great feeling um becoming an official australian and yeah i can't i can't even describe uh what i was feeling i just felt you know proud and accomplished at the same time as <laughs> I'm as an Australian because not only do I want to be an Australian, but Australia wants me to be an Australian. And do they then force you to adopt a footy team basically as a, you get the Australian <laughs> passport? Like, mate, you got to go, you choose your footy team right now. You have to do it. You have to do it before you take the oath. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was not on my, <laughs> that was not the, part of the process of getting my passport <laughs> right but but the, the, did you choose one though have you have you adopted a no, team I, at all I, i'm still uh open to be persuaded that's all right well look i'm just gonna say as a carlton supporter we've done all right so far this year we we usually okay. suck but we're doing okay, okay right now so get on the bandwagon right now Brendan. <laughs> like you know just 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 get on board all right the train is coming so all right you can take that advice <laughs> I'll have to watch a, a couple more games before I make my decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no, okay, now we're screwed. I think we just lost you, but um, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. So what was the process like? Obviously, COVID, I'm sure, is through a spanner in the works. You've gone to the US to train, but like, what was the process like that led you to qualifying? Was it a simple case of is, it, is short track a sport based on rankings points? Is it you've got to finish a certain position at a certain event? Like, how did that work? And at what point were you aware that, boom, I am going to the Olympics? Uh-huh. So in short track, it's basic, it, it's, it's ranking. So there were four World Cups this season um, within six weeks. So that started in late October. Um, so there were two in Asia and two in Europe. So, and basically it was a cumulative ranking of those um, events. It was the best three of four competitions. So, and then that's how they did the ranking. And then if you were in the top, you know, 32, you could go to the Olympics. It was a little more complex than that. It was basically like, um, as, as you go down the list, the more, um, people you're trying to qualify for your team, the more, more, difficult it is because 
for an Olympic spot, it's not based on the athlete who qualifies. So it's based on the country. Mm -hmm. So say, I'll just use Australia as an example here, but say um, in the 1500, that uh, one Australian did well than the first World Cup and in the second World, World Cup, a different Australian did well. It wouldn't matter the name associated to the uh, to the country. It's just people from the country and how they've done. So the country as a, as a whole. So the country needs to be consistent to get the spots rather than the athlete. So it's basically you, you're all kind of working together. To, to, yeah, yeah. So you're working together yeah. to get that slot and then it's up to the country's selection committee to then go, okay, mm -hmm. well, Brendan, you are the one who's going based yeah. on that slot that we qualified. Yeah. So basically once it came around to, I think it was after the second World Cup, once I'd finished in the top 20 for a second time, I went, okay, I think I've got a pretty good shot here at, at making it. And that was in the thousand meter, the 1000 meter. So you have to qualify each distance separately. So if you do really well in one distance, you'll only get that one distance, mm -hmm. which is why I only qualified the two distances because my 1500 was not as consistent as my other two events at the world cups which i mean i can't imagine that's disappointing knowing that you're going to the olympics anyway you're in two of the three events but i mean like is part of you going like ah shit well i'm missing out on the on the third or yeah. it wouldn't have matter if you just qualified for one you would have been satisfied yeah i would have been happy just to go for one but i mean it was a little bit of a bummer to miss out on the 1500 actually i prefer the 1500 to the 500 <laughs> i'd never really considered <laughs> myself a sprinter but uh <laughs> i mean if I qualify, I'm going to, I'm going to race it. And, uh, I've skated the fastest I've ever skated in, in both those events that I qualified for this season. You so, made it, you make yeah. it to an A final sort of in, in a, in a world cup in the lead up. Was that the, the one that, that gets you in or had you, did you know you were already going to Beijing before you, I, you made that? So the A final I was in was in the fourth world cup. And by that time I had already known that I was going to the Olympics so I guess that just lifted the stress off my shoulders and I just went out and, and skated and <laughs> did really well. So, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, yeah, maybe there's that subconscious mental aspect there that, that helped me do well. Whereas maybe other countries were still unsure if they were able to qualify and maybe scrambling a little bit more at that fourth world cup. So I was able to capitalize on that. Do you, do you remember the feeling when you knew you were going to the Olympics? Again, going back on the quota system you're talking about, I'm sure it already comes down to when the Australian Olympic Committee officially says, like, Brendan, you are the one going to the Olympics. But do you, do you remember that moment when you were told you're going to the Olympics and this this dream that you'd been working towards, you'd switch <laughs> countries, you'd, you'd move to the other side yeah. of the world, like that moment was like? I mean, for me, there wasn't really one specific moment because it's just, you know, building and building and building and building throughout the season. So, I mean as the weeks gone by, it was just getting closer and closer. I'm like, okay, I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. And then it, it's happening. It's happening. It just kind of transitioned. I, I can't really put a pinpoint on, okay, like I've actually done it. Like, I think after that first couple races of me just racing and then seeing where I fared, I went, 
oh, wow, I am actually competitive at this level because I this was my first season internationally, so I didn't know how I would, I would fare. Mm. To be honest with you, it was not even a goal of mine to make the Olympics this season. I just went, I just want to see how I do. And if I do make the Olympics, that's a huge bonus and that's awesome. And <laughs> sure enough that it happened and wow, I'm just, I, I'm still like, I can't believe that I was actually there. It's incredible. You're sitting here right now talking to us, wearing the rings yeah. literally on your clothes and everything like that, which, I mean, it's, it must be <laughs> must be an incredible feeling. But then do you, with everything you just said, not necessarily a goal, but you've done it, is there then mm-hmm. a switch that goes off and goes, well, fuck, I just made an A final in a World Cup. I can, yeah. I'm doing all right right now. I could do all right at the yeah. Olympics. So, like, bring it yeah. on. I mean, to me, it's just that's – when I was in that A final, that was the, that was the moment where I thought – I, I deserve to be skating at this level. I deserve to be at the Olympics. I I can be competitive with these guys and this is where I belong. Great. Which it's then, I love always finding out from our guests, particularly for their first Olympics, all those leading things that obviously you're experiencing in Olympics, you know, from the moment you get selected, from the moment the press goes out, you know, Brendan Corey's our Olympian to you get your uniform, you're on the plane, <laughs> like all these sort of things. Like, is there a moment that kind of clicks to you that I'm an Olympian? Like, is it you're on the start line, you've got your uniform. Like, is there a moment <laughs> that kind of it, it, that light goes off in that aspect to say that I am an Olympian? I mean, yeah, just arriving at the, at the village, seeing uh, – <laughs> The rings just everywhere. That's just I'm an Olymp- I'm an Olympian. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, to me like yeah, it's something I've always been admiring, and now I've done it. I just yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard to yeah. describe the feeling, honestly. Which it's just obviously unique Olympics too, given that, you know, Co was still a thing. I think it was sort of a little bit more freer than a lot of our Tokyo guests that we've discussed too. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's, do you, do you, were you able to at least go out and see other events? Like, was that still restrictive in terms of things? Like, like, or were you kind of in a bubble where like, yeah. you're only doing your event only go back to the village. You can't go watch <laughs> the hockey or something like that. Uh-huh. No, they would let us go see some other events. I did go and watch the, um, one of the Canada U S hockey games, for example, I went out and saw the long track speed skating. Um, yeah. So they were not restrictive in that aspect, but, um, we weren't allowed to leave the village. I'm sure you're, you've heard this many times, but we couldn't leave the village or the various venues. And the only way to the venue was by, by bus. Mm -hmm. So, and some of the, traffic in China was not, <laughs> was not pleasant. So that's the other decision you have to make when going to watch one of these events is do I want to sit in a, in a bus for, you know, 30 <laughs> minutes or more both ways. Yeah, kind of. Kind so of it, it does way. take a big chunk of the day. Um, you know, leading up to my events, I was not really going out to see many other events just because I wouldn't have time during the day because I'd, be, you know, training or, you know, need to go to sleep or whatever, uh, getting my meals in recovery, you know, all that stuff's really important leading up to the events. So did you I mean, get, I wish I, I, a part of me wishes I went to see more, but 
part of me is like, yeah, I can watch it on the TV just as just as well. <laughs> <laughs> and you've also got other Olympics to go to, Brendan. This won't be your last. So, like, you know, you've got plenty of opportunities to uh, do that. Did, did you get to do the opening ceremony? Was that something you were able yes, to do? Yes, I did. Actually, it was kind of a, a fiasco for me because <laughs> I had uh, training on the ice. And just as I was getting back to the village, everyone's saying, Brendan, we have to leave in five minutes to go <laughs> to go to the Olympics. So I'm running back to my room as fast as I can, trying to scrambling to get changed, finding the proper outfit to wear. So we're all matching. <laughs> Even um, some of the, my other teammates were waiting outside the bus, wait <laughs> so they could, uh, trying to stall the bus driver from leaving the village <laughs> so I could make it on the bus. And <laughs> yeah, I didn't get, proper meal after my training before the ceremony so it was a bit it was a bit hectic but luckily they did give us some food before the the ceremonies while we were waiting around because there's a lot of waiting around for opening ceremonies you were standing there for a long time aren't you australia was near the end as well so (laughs) i don't know why they're so early in advance but they were yeah they were rushing at something awful Usually it's at the beginning, but I still can imagine it's a special experience, though, to like walk into that yeah. stadium oh, yeah. and, and just sort of have that moment to the to the stadium with the you know the flag waving and all of us uh, walking in, matching, waving. They did have some spectators in there, so that was pretty cool. Just to see all the the dancers around everywhere, it just uh, yeah, it was a it was an awesome feeling, once in a lifetime that- experience. But before I talk about obviously your me. event, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully. before I talk about your like events and obviously what happened there, just the vibe amongst the team. Obviously, Australia's most successful Winter Olympics ever in terms of medals won. But what was that like, sort of just in the village? Because we talked a lot to our Tokyo athletes about the vibe, and obviously a much bigger team, much more medals. But there's only, you know, 40 or so of you guys, you, you know, almost mm-hmm. a, a tenth of you are winning medals. So, like, it's it, I can, much close-knit community. I can imagine that vibe would be very strong amongst you all. Yeah, well, even um, at our village, it was, <laughs> I guess, even more so since we were only, I think at one time the most athletes we had was six in the wow. Beijing village. Because, you know, all the skiers and snowboarders and the sliding sports were up on the mountain three hours away. So the only time I ever saw any of those guys was opening ceremonies. Mm. So, yeah, it was just basically myself and the the curlers and the figure skaters. And then just my last couple of days, the, the big air snowboarders came down. So, yeah, I, I must- got to chat with everybody and got to know them. And, yeah. They were all Great. really nice people. So that's sort of almost like a virtual team, kind of the way you're all spread <laughs> out, kind of sharing that that love. But we had we had Dean and Tali on a, a couple of weeks ago. I've had them on a couple of times, and obviously they had some drama going on with the COVID oh, yeah. back and forth and everything along those lines. But I mean, what's it like then with with Kalani and, and Brendan? Like your your little tight little group there. I can imagine that would have been a little <laughs> fun to kind of share along yeah, with. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, even the the figure skaters, they shared the venue with us. So Mm. sometimes I would see them, you know, on the bus, you know, traveling between the training sessions and whatnot. So, yeah. And then, you know, I shared a apartment with Brendan as well. So we got to chat. Flag bearer Brendan, of course. They were not in the village as long as I was, but 
but it was nice yeah. to get to meet the other athletes. Nice. Did you give him any flag waving tips? Like, or was he just so busy practicing, like, <laughs> his, his, you know, opening ceremony flag, basically, that he was just too busy to talk to you? <laughs> oh, well, he's more experienced with the Olympics than I am. So I, I didn't have any tips for him. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, the events itself, the, the, the thousand, you, you're the first Australian to get through to a quarterfinals since Stephen Bradbury set an Australian record, I mean, through the heats. What was the mindset going into that quarterfinals? Like you're going on that confidence level that you were saying, you're kind of, you're competing with the best, you're up there with the best. Were you, mm-hmm. were you confident that this was just, okay, quarter simple, semis, here, here I come. Like, I mean, were you, how were you feeling yeah. going into that quarter? I mean, I was I was feeling good. The, I thought I had a good um, race, as in the people who were in my race, I thought I had a good chance in there. Um but yeah, I was, I was feeling good, but then, you know, unfortunately I had the crash, so <laughs> a bit of bad luck, but you know, that short track and those things happen. Um, you know, I don't, uh, regret what happened in the race. I was fully competitive in there and I wanted to prove that, you know, I was in the race. I didn't want to just settle for third and, and glide across behind the others. I knew I could, could be in there. Um, you know, the, the Dutch guy in front of me, he was skating a similar pattern and throughout the laps before. So I, I saw, saw an opening there. So I went for it and then, you know, unfortunately it fell over, but you know, these things happen in the sport. And I mean, it's not the only time I'll get to race. So <laughs> got four more years of racing ahead of me at least. So that's a, a lot of races to do and anything can happen. So which I love that attitude from you afterwards in the, in the interviews that you were doing, because it's sort of like, you know, us as a you know armchair experts watching, we're like, we're disappointed. And then you're kind of like, Oh, like oh, what's going on. But they're just exactly the attitude you just say. It's like, I don't regret what I did. Like I, I went for a move and like with any sport, any opportunity, like sure it didn't work out for you then, but it could have easily just worked out the other way. Couldn't it? And we could be yeah, talking about yeah. a completely different scenario. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I was just happy to be there. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was just happy to be there. And really, if even if I did nothing, I still would have been happy. But I, you know, I just wanted to prove myself, you know, I deserve to be here. I want to make the move, you know, I can compete with the best of them. So, <laughs> Australian yeah. record holder, then, too, Brendan. You, you set that record yeah. straight away. So you, you, you've got that got, in the back pocket. And I've got, I've got two records now. I've got the 500 as well, which I did at the World Championships. Congratulations! Ago. There you go. Oh, so you just you. gonna get? Do you have the fifteen hundred yet, or is that is that coming? It will come for the the fifteen hundred. The fifteen hundred is a little bit more tricky because you need to be in the right race for that to come. I am confident in my ability that I am able to do the time. I have done faster than that time in training multiple times. So wow. it just, I just need to get in the right race, you know, a fast race right from the start. And then I'm sure, I'm sure in the ne- within the next couple of years, I'll have it, that one as well. You'll have it. There you go. You heard it here first. We were, we were on board with the, the Turkish skater, uh, Fakan Akar, which we, we loved, like we loved his story and we were like, okay, Brennan's gone. We're behind this guy now. We're, we're cheering him on there. Like sort of stuff. Cause like, <laughs> I think they were, the commentators were saying that 
you know, Turkey's got even less of uh, rinks than Australia does. So, like, kind of, this is even more of a, a unique story. Like, do you sort of, like, do you look at stories? Like, do you know Furkan? Like, do you know these people and sort of get behind them once you're out? Or is it kind of you're too busy focused on the 500s that you don't really give a shit who wins the gold or goes on <laughs> further? <laughs> um, I mean, it all happened so quick after the fact. I mean, basically, I was scurried off into doping control before <laughs> before I even knew what was going on. So, I didn't really get the chance to watch the the later rounds, but I mean, he was in that position because of what I did. So in a way, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's you to thank for it basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he owes you a, he owes you a box of chocolates or something basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Turkish delight. Maybe I don't know, which I mean, the finalists, the one thing that I found fascinating about the final is they had to restart it because a piece of blade was lodged in the ice. Yeah. Is that common? Like, does that often happen in events? Um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's uncommon, right. but it's not, you know, something that happens every time, but it happens every once in a while it'll happen. Um, not more than if it happens more than two times per event, then that's abnormal. But I mean, it can happen off the start, you know, blades are going everywhere. So it, it's easy for, for them to, to hit and then. They're so they're so fragile. It just you know if it hits in the in the wrong spot and then just breaks right off, which is unfortunate. But I feel like it's like Final Destination, Brendan. Like you got things flying everywhere, and somebody's going to lose an eye <laughs> or like their their jugular cut. Like how does this not happen more often? It sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, as soon as they notice that there is a piece of blade on the ice, they will stop the race just for safety reasons, as as you're saying. But uh, yeah, and that's why we wear the fully cut-proof suits as well, just in case if there is a crash, there's less of a chance that someone is to get cut. Which, it's obviously a very brutal sport when you do crash, but um, I think I remember during the Olympics when Stephen Bradbury was doing commentary, he mentioned something at one point about how he's like, yeah, you know, it's not like when I was skating where the the padding wasn't as thick. I was breaking bones everywhere. Now the padding's so thick that you never like you're obviously still getting injured. But I mean, I don't know if it's quite the extent as people used to be because it was a fascinating thing that Bradbury was saying about that. Yeah, it is definitely safer than it was 20 years ago. Um, yeah, I would say injuries are not as common nowadays. Of course, if you're falling with another person, I mean, there's always that chance that, you know, something can go wrong. But most of the time, if it's just a fall on your own, you'll be you'll be walking away just fine. Which I do love the sort of in the preparation for this interview, the image that ABC decided to use of you for the article of you not making it through to the semifinals of the fifth, uh, the 1000 was you very much on your back with your legs up, like awkwardly falling. <laughs> like I can imagine you always must love it when you see these images of you. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, there's more to me than just falling over. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at some point you got to just embrace it. And yeah, that was me. Yeah. That's what I did. But I mean, I don't want to be known for the guy who fell at the Olympics. I've got so much, <laughs> so much more to offer than just that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, where was everyone during the season for my world cups? Like, they they have that to go back and watch and see my progression through the season. So, very true, very very true. The five hundred meters, as you said, not really your favorite event. Uh, but I mean, what was that mentality then going into that? Was it a case of well, anything can happen? Like you know, who knows? Because mm-hmm. this isn't my event, or was it against yeah. which gears? Boom! Let's see how far I can do with this. 
Oh, for me, it was I was starting outside lane because I was ranked near the bottom of the of the list. So for me, it was just <laughs> go as fast as I can, try to try to hold on and uh, see what happens. But you know, I I missed out on the quarterfinals by one spot, which is a little bit <laughs> too bad. But at the same time, it was my fastest uh, time up to that point, so I was not upset with that at all. Which does it then? Now that you got your first Olympics done with, kind of again ahead of schedule, as you were saying, does that now, when you look towards twenty twenty six, it it switches focus to okay, I've had that, I've got that experience. Now it's not that it wasn't serious before, but now it's I guess on a level now where it's like I can go in four years' time and seriously think about getting a medal. Yeah, I mean, I've got the next four years to get more experience racing. I think that was what was holding me back this season was my inexperience to the international stage. I've raced a lot in Canada, but you know, racing in Canada is different than racing world cups and Olympics. So yeah, over the next four years, getting a lot of racing in, uh, just building this experience. Hopefully I continue on this upward trend uh, as I've been going, going this year. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what I can accomplish. Hopefully can get on the podium within the next couple of seasons and then winning some races. <laughs> Go through that way, which, I mean, you sort of, we touched on a little bit, the, the world championships have happened since the Olympics, uh, you know, mm-hmm. no time to, to rest. Basically you have an Olympics and then to a, a world championship and you finish 21st overall. Cause as you were saying, they sort of, they do the rankings of it. But, uh, I mean, your tweet that you put out there saying that, you know, despite a few little incidents, you were very satisfied with your performance. Yeah. I mean, do, do you did you leave the World Championships more satisfied than what you achieved at the Olympics or was it kind of a different thing where kind of they just were both, yeah. I guess, different feelings? Yeah, so um, my goal actually way back at the start of the season was to finish somewhere in the 20s at the World Championship. So I achieved that goal. That's a check mark there. But, yeah, I was quite satisfied with my world championship performance. I made it to the quarterfinals in the 500 and the thousand. And I was in the semifinal in the 1500. That was my first semifinal in the 1500 of my, of this season. So I was thrilled with that. Um, Yeah. I think I could have placed higher despite my two penalty calls that I don't, I don't know if I quite agree with, the, the referee at the world championships was Canadian in Montreal. So Those there might bastards. be a little bit of bias there <laughs> <laughs> toward, towards some of the Canadians to help the Canadians go through. But, uh, but yeah, overall, I'm, I'm not unhappy with, with what happened. I mean, I was, it was my most consistent event of the season. So I'm happy with that. And, and, I've, and now I've got, I've got space to improve over the next seasons as well. I mean, right. in my mind, I think I can be better than 21. So, you know, only way to go is up. <laughs> so Simple. yeah, no, I, I think I can, I can do that for next season is definitely there's room for improvement. We was going to say, so the season now was the world champion was at the end of the season now. That, so you that's it. Yeah. We're in the off season now. So what what does an off season usually look like for a short track? I mean, you're back there in New Brunswick at the moment. Is a bit of time off, and yeah. before you hit the ice again, or kind of is there no rest for the wicked, and you're basically like, oh, I'll have a week off <laughs> and then back back to it. So yeah, for now I'm just um, visiting with my 
parents and and family um just basically taking it easy for now um nothing you know structured for training um yeah so the other day i went out and got on the gone on the bike with one of my uh, friends here high school friends so that was good um i mean nothing saying i can't train but i don't necessarily have to do anything either it's it's good to give the body a rest and just you know refresh and even the mental break of just not having to <laughs> wake up and train and then <laughs> focus on all those other aspects that go along with training, you know, cause it's more than just showing up to the rink. There's the, you know, what do I have to eat? Um, you know, when do I have to go to bed? Those, those things are also very important throughout the season. Is there then you're talking about that progression world championships want to be in the twenties. You've got that. So do you then look ahead to the next season and go, okay, well next world championships, I want to be in like, you know, between 11 and 20 or like, you know, do you set yourself yeah. a target? Like a world cup, I want a podium next season. Like, is that things you yeah. start, you and Richard start sort of thinking about right about now leading into the next season? I mean, I haven't really sat down and officially thought about it, but I mean, you know, those are always things in the back of my mind. Uh, you know, if I'm 21 this season, um, what, where do I want to be next season? I mean, I haven't put an official number on it yet, but you know, somewhere in the, between, you know, 10 and 20 would be, I think would be a good realistic goal for next season. And then, you know, if I get in a couple more A finals, that would be, that would be awesome. I think uh, that's realistic as well. So, you know, well, I still need some time to, <laughs> to think about it a little more, but I've got a general feeling of, of what I want to accomplish next season. It's a progression ladder there, though, Brendan. Like, you yeah, know, the, the teens and the, then the top ten, and then by the time we get Milan, it's you know multiple world yeah. champion. I'm um, ready to go. To, to <laughs> yeah, it's like anything else. You're not going to be the best in the world straight away. So it take it takes some time to you know go up through the ranks. I mean, same thing as when I was young and going up through the ranks here locally. It's the it's the same thing, just yeah. at a different different stage in my career. It's like with us on this show, we hope to be good one day. We'll get there one day. We'll gradually, <laughs> you know, keep going up. We might get some listeners one day. You never know. But I actually just, I'm thinking about going back to my point about us Australians getting Canadians and, and doing well, making you Australian, you know, Dale Beg smith Just to, to, to put that into perspective, that was 2006 in Italy, 2026 in <laughs> Italy. We have you as a Canadian. We oh, have poached. Man. There's, there, there's, it's, it's a poetic, you oh, know, it's, you're it's a pattern. You're throwing pressure on me now all of a sudden. It's, I think it's just, it's, it's happening. It's not pressure. It's, it's happening, Brenda. Like it's, it's meant to be. So just saying on the 20th anniversary of Dale, Canadian wins another goal for Australia. It's, it's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'll just play this clip, play this hard. clip before you're, you know, you're <laughs> in, in, in Milan and you, you, you remember this conversation. And then when you get in that gold, you go, oh, that Ben, he was onto something. He was in you, in you. He knew four years ago. Yeah. He knew. Yeah. The only, the only former guest on this show to win a gold medal after being on this show was Charles Hamlin. So it's short track speed skating. Like, come on, like we've got a good track record, no pun intended, uh, of people winning gold. So just, it's, it's all falling into place, Brendan. It's working well for you. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Which we've got take some it, questions. Take it one season at a time. <laughs> okay. That's, I like that perspective of it. We'll get to some closing questions in just a moment, sort of some fun ones to, to close it out. But one thing I wanted to uh, quickly touch on, I, I watched a, 
an interview you had done online and you were talking about sort of other sports you were into. Now, we obviously already touched on you're not a big hockey fan, but you mentioned basketball and Formula One, which I need to talk to you about, Brennan, because I'm a massive F1 fan. Uh, you mentioned you'd yeah. been to some races. So have you? did you go to Montreal, like Melbourne? Have you been to both? Like yeah. kind of like what, what ones have you been to? to? Montreal um, 2019, I think it was. Um, the, the most recent one that they've had before covid so i went to that one live that was that was awesome to watch i wanted to get to the australian one this season but our world championships was pushed back by a month so ah. so that was a little unfortunate that i was able unable to attend that one but maybe in the future i'll get to go see the the melbourne race and you know, if, if, if I'm in one of these countries when there's a race going on, <laughs> I'll have to stop by, but yeah. It's yeah, addicting. It's just, it is. Yeah. I'm just yeah, I'm always looking forward to the, the next race weekend. I've, um, I, I mean, I, this was the first Australian Grand Prix that I haven't been to since 2009. So it's been a long time, but I went to the Montreal one in 2017 and, probably the best Grand Prix I've ever been to in the world. Like the way that was put on, uh, I mean, the whole city was like a fair, like it was incredible. It was, it was a great experience um, and fun to watch. But I mean, who do you support? Who, like, who do you have a driver? Do you have a team? Like, do, like who, who, who do you go for? I don't know. I kind of just flip flop back and forth. <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I don't really have a specific driver or team. You know, I just, like the competition i like seeing them do well so you know i was happy to see verstappen win the championship last season for example i mean i like lewis as well but it was nice to see that change um you know i'm liking to see that the ferraris are doing well this season for example so i mean i'm just a fan of the sport rather than mm -hmm. a fan of a specific driver or team I've got to, I've got to ask because I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with a Canadian who likes Formula One, uh, Canadian Australian <laughs> who likes Formula One. But um, Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi, is there any sort of uh, you know because they're a bit interesting in the fan base in Formula One and people's opinion yeah. on them. So how do Canadians um, feel about uh, Latifi and Stroll? I would would not say they are my favorites. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so no, um, yeah, um, <laughs> that's a standard answer for a lot of Formula One fans when you talk about them. <laughs> yeah, but, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's just say I think there could be better drivers in those seats. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say I, I actually I, I'm a bit of a closet Stroll fan I actually have a Lance Stroll t-shirt I think I'm the only person in the world oh, who owns one but um, yeah it's <laughs> it's it's interesting because I actually watched a video I was on a Formula 1 channel and they it was, a New, it was a New Zealand guy and he did a video on Lance Stroll and he got a, I think a Canadian YouTube Formula 1 channel to express opinions on them because I think the, the thing I find fascinating about Canada and Formula One is that you have one of the greatest drivers of all time in Gilles Villeneuve, then his son wins a world championship, and then not a lot of people maybe like Jacques too much, but now you've got two Canadians where they don't really like them that much. So it's like, oh, mm -hmm. poor Canada and Formula One. You've got some good history there. <laughs> yeah, like I said, um, after I've been, you know, felt a little bit betrayed by Canada, I'm not 
always rooting for them as as hard as I was in the past. So on the Ricardo bandwagon, then get on Daniel. <laughs> I, I I support Daniel. Yes, I I like him. He's a he's a nice guy and a great character and a great driver. So. There you go. You really are hopefully, an Aussie now. Hopefully, Brent, that works. one day in uh, in Melbourne, I can uh, cross paths with him if if he's Absolutely. around. Absolutely. Play the Olympic <laughs> card like you're an Olympian. You can cross yeah. circles with him. You know. Yeah. Come on. Jakara was on the grid. <laughs> yeah. I think. Scott, I mean, I mean, Scotty James is obviously engaged to Lance's sister. So, like, I feel like you are teammates with somebody who's connected to Formula One. Like his father-in-law mm. owns Aston Martin. So, like. Play the cards here, Brendan. Your Olympic teammate can get you connections yeah, here. Yeah. Well, I've never met Scotty in person where he oh. didn't come down for the opening ceremony, so I never got Scotty. the chance to meet him. But, but maybe, uh, you know, maybe things can happen in the future. Who knows? Remember that. <laughs> by the time Milan comes around, he should be married to Chloe. So by then you should be like, hey, Scotty, buddy, how you doing? <laughs> like, you know, get, get some me into connections. The <laughs> behind exactly. the scenes. Yeah, again, Jakara was on the grid in Melbourne. Yeah, exactly. Who cares? Like, bugger Aston Martin, screw Lance Stroll. Get me in these other teams. Come on, let's do this. Um, Brendan, as I said, we like to close out interviews with a set of uh, get-to-know-you questions, sort of. These were actually based on a Team Canada questionnaire they gave uh, athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. And just a bit of fun, (laughs) learn a little bit more about you. And also, we'll add, there is a drawing element. I don't know how your drawing skills are. You don't have to do it, but if you feel the need... There are some ones here you can do some homework and we can put them on our social media. So, again, entirely up to you. How's, how are your drawing skills? Um, mediocre at best. Okay, well, that's better than crap. So, we'll take that. <laughs> uh, we'll take that. Um, your favourite all-time Olympic moment is? Favourite all-time? That's a tough question. I mean... Uh... I haven't thought about it. Um, <laughs> a part of me wants to say the Bradbury moment, but great answer. We'll take. It. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that I don't think that will ever happen again. At least not in short track. Like that is a once in a in a lifetime uh, event. Like that was just oh, yeah, insane. Incredible. <laughs> did you? Did, I mean, I'm assuming you would have met Bradbury. I'm guessing. Would you? I have not met him in person. We spoke over the phone a couple of times, but. Right. Okay. And I mean, do you, do you then get like, do you watch the channel seven coverage? You can hear him commentating on you. Like, have you, have you seen that sort of footage? Yeah. So when we were at the Olympics, that's what they had playing at the, at the uh, Aussie team HQ. So when I wanted to go watch any of the Olympic sports, they had the channel seven on there. So I did go back and watch the, short track broadcast and I got to hear Steven's commentary. It must be surreal. That must be like a weird sort of like moment to know who he is, to know the history, to know that you're in his event and like all this kind of stuff, but then he's talking about you. There he is. He's commentating you at the Olympics. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I grew up and I heard about his story and now I just, yeah, he's there and he's talking about me and he's, cheering for me even so i mean it's just a crazy crazy moment <laughs> yeah insane insane if you could have any superpower what would it be any superpower uh, mm. teleport teleportation for sure 
So I don't have to Brilliant. get on any, any more bloody flights. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a long one from, from Canada to Australia. So um, Yeah, that's not the worst world. itinerary I've had, let's say that. <laughs> no, what, give, us, give us your worst then. What, what has been oh, the, the... My worst itinerary actually was coming back from the Olympics. It was from the time I left the Olympic Village to the time I returned to my apartment in Salt Lake City. It was 70 hours, 70. Wow. 70 geez yeah so i don't know who was wow. responsible for booking those flights but i mean come on <laughs> how, how, I mean, how is that possible it's like i mean it's not it, that far were, over the pacific they were sending us everywhere i mean <laughs> from beijing went to singapore then mm. we were overnight in singapore by we it was um myself and richard we were traveling together and then from singapore we went to japan because that makes sense. And then had another <laughs> couple of hours layover there. <laughs> and then from Japan, we went to um, LA, I believe it was. And then, you know, another four or five hours layover there. So, I mean, it, it adds up. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Gee, somebody's looking at a world map. City. So, I mean, <laughs> I felt like it, we could have definitely traveled more efficiently than what we did i'm <laughs> going so. to singapore to japan i mean that seems kind of strange but you could have swum that <laughs> brendan i think you should have just like jumped in in the water and swam across the yeah. pacific yeah. You, might have, you might have made better time jeez that's <laughs> insane wow I'm, n- I'm never going through the australian olympic committee's travel agents let's just say that yeah. um yeah. <laughs> your, your favorite sports movie is sports movie Oof. hmm can it be real or fictional? <laughs> it can be whatever you want it to I be. Mean, I mean, Happy Gilmore is a classic. Ah, oh, yes. Love it. <laughs> Good answer. The more people need to answer Happy Gilmore. That, that's real, isn't it? We all play like Happy Gilmore now that you've seen yeah. that movie. Like, you know? <laughs> um, the next, uh, to draw a picture of yourself again, if you want to draw, there's a, you can draw I one. I think I'll pass on that one. <laughs> okay, all right, good. Today. All right, you, you, you're allowed to do that. Um, your funniest childhood memory is... childhood memory um maybe let's loop around to this one later i I don't have one that's jumping out at me at the moment all right okay we'll we'll come back to that one uh do you have a favorite pump up song like you got the airpods in before a race and there's a song that really pumps you up (laughs) actually this season and at the olympics i was listening to a lot of uh slipknot before my races so (laughs) nice (laughs) that was getting me that was getting me in the mood Great. Especially when the, with the warm-up area, it felt like someone had just just died, and we were all about to go into a funeral. I mean, the atmosphere in there was terrible. So I was, you know, that was pumping me up, and then that plus me joking around with Richard, uh, we had a we had a good attitude. Great. <laughs> uh, you get timid with a mask. Competitors. <laughs> yeah, far out. I was wondering, can you wear a mask in like the an event, like a Slipknot mask, um, to scare so everyone when off? When we were warming up, we did not need a mask on. Right. So warming up okay. or on the ice, obviously. So. Can't do it. Well, there's an idea you can use to scare the other competitors. Just be like, oh, I'm very conscious. So I'm just going to wear this, you know, <laughs> face slip knot mask going off there. Um, the most <laughs> recent, the most recent TV show that you binge watched. Um, a TV show that I've really been liking recently is called Taskmaster. I don't know if okay. you're familiar with it. It's no. a UK series 
basically they get a bunch of comedians on there and they just get them to do these outrageous tasks and it's just just hilarious i re- i recommend you go watch it you can find it on youtube so great all the all the well, series it's, are there, so it, it's, okay. it's hilarious <laughs> done there you go Highly taskmaster we'll check it out um if you well, the, the next drawing one draw a picture of you and of one of your teammates i mean you can draw a picture of richard with the hair i, I don't know how you <laughs> I appreciate that bring back the hair richard um if you weren't an athlete what would you be that's a very good question um <laughs> i don't know what i'd be to be honest i mean probably i'd probably be working somewhere i do have my I have graduated university, so I mean, I'd probably be, probably be doing something along those lines. Um, I just last year I graduated in supply chain management, um, commerce, bachelor of commerce. So I'd probably be working in the supply chain somewhere. <laughs> there you go. All right. I, I I don't know if any supply chain people are listening. You know, begging to hire an Olympic short track speed skater, but you don't need to I mean, worry about that because supply you, chain's you... all the rage these days. So <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> jobs. Don't. I I don't think I'll have any problem finding a job when I, when I want we, to. Get we one, know so. when you retire, though, Brendan, as a multiple Olympic gold medalist, you'll be working for Channel Seven as a commentator <laughs> at the Olympics after that. So it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, got- I need something else to do in the meantime when I'm not commentating. Well, true. Start a beer. Like, I mean, you know, Stephen Bradbury started <laughs> a beer, so start start a rival beer to Stephen. You'll work with him, you know, last man standing. You know, in four years' time, who knows what, what's going to be going on, so. <laughs> we'll, 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 again, we'll listen to this in four years' time to see what's happened. Um, Where is your favourite vacation spot? Hmm. Favourite vacation spot? Well, I really like... Uh, roller coasters so anywhere with a good good roller coaster is uh, is where i'll be <laughs> nice have you have you done the theme parks on the gold coast did you manage to get up there at all not not yet um hopefully i can get around there sometime soon in my in my off season i haven't been up along into queensland yet so it when i do go to queensland i'll make sure to stop in at uh you know movie land in those places I think you need to spare spare a good week. I think and get get the, okay. the multi park pass and uh, you know Dream Dream World. You like Dream World? They've got like the, the Thrill Six or whatever those ones are called. And I'm more of a water park man, so Wet and Wild, White Water, okay. really worth it. So I like water parks yeah. too. So yeah, no, definitely worth it. And the, as well. Yeah, Queensland Tourism Board, you're welcome. I expect a check in the mail. Uh, you know, go, go <laughs> visit all the theme parks. Um, what's something that people usually describe you as? Ooh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what would Richard call? Is Richard ever described you as something? Yeah, um, hardworking, determined. Um, I know, I know what I want, and uh, I'm not afraid to go get it. So there you go. What would you describe Richard as? <laughs> Richard as um, <laughs> flamboyant. Flamboyant. Okay. Yes. It's a good word for him. I'm a little more reserved than he is. (laughs) (laughs) Has he taught you many Australian words that you didn't know before you worked with him? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, a couple. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any that you can say on air today at all? (laughs) Um, um, I'll just I'll just leave it at at that for now. (laughs) Okay. Good. Yeah. Um. Um's a good answer. Um. If you could be an Olympian in any other sport besides your own, what would it be? Okay. 
And this would be assuming I have the skills to be. <laughs> if you like sport. right now, it was like, boom, you are as good as you are at short track in, in equestrian. Yeah, you okay. can. Any I think I would say 100 meter sprint. Yep. Just that, yep. that to me, that seems like it's like the most hype event of the mm-hmm. Olympics. Good answer. When people think like of Olympics, it. they think 100 meter sprint. So that's. That's what I would And choose. to put that into perspective from Australia, like I'm not even going to bring up, you know, Andre de Grasse, Canadian, like, you know, everyone knows who he is. But Australia, we had Rowan Browning who won a heat and he was treated like he won a gold medal. That's how big of a deal <laughs> it was. We had an yeah. Australian win a heat of the 100 metres. Like, yeah. wow, this guy's like, he's more famous than some of our Olympic medalists from freaking Tokyo. So that's how big it is. So yeah. there you go. Um, what is your guilty pleasure? Now, like, this one usually like it sort of can be food, but like I mean, this can be anything. Like if you you know like you you like dressing up as a clown on the weekend. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> if you do, good, great. Tell us more about it. But like, um, I mean, what's your guilty pleasure? Let's say um, I'm always down for a round of Mario Kart. Yes. Okay. Is this Mario Kart 64 or like it doesn't matter what Mario Kart? It just um, any, any Mario Kart. Kart. I'm more familiar with the newer iterations. Of course, yes. I'm just aging Wii myself there. Onwards, so <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's I, I like that. Now, who do you, down, who do you play as? Who's your character? I Who's mean, your go-to character? I mean, it, it depends on the game. Because okay. you know different characters are, are better. <laughs> <laughs> Strategic. Yeah, you got to give yourself the best chance of winning. So, <laughs> have you gotten just on the video game page and being a Formula One fan? Have you played many of the Code Masters like F one twenty twenty one or you know, um, sort of games like that? I don't own um, any of those games in Australia. I had a mate who had one of the F one games, so I, I played with him a couple couple times. It was quite fun. He didn't have the wheel at the time, unfortunately. He's got the wheel now, but at the time he didn't. So we were just playing on controller. But it it was it's a lot of fun, yeah. It's, it's very yeah, challenging I, as well. It, <laughs> I was playing with, with all the assists. <laughs> oh, look, I, I mean, I, I play it a lot, but I play with the assists. I'm no good. I'm never going to be on an esports team. But um, I think that the, the newer ones are great because they've kind of almost gone down the path of like say NBA 2K where you can create your own team now mm. and you can sort of like yeah. recruit drivers and it's fun. Like yeah. it's very, a lot That's more customized. Cool, cool aspect yeah. of the Team liveries sure. and things like that. It's really yeah. fun. I'll, I'll circle back then. Funniest childhood memories. Has anything clicked at all? I mean, <laughs> nothing's jumping out of me straight away. I think if I had more time to think about it, I would get something, but uh, I don't know. I it's, wasn't I say, it's not a requirement. You don't have to up, answer so. them all. <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's a you don't fail the interview if you if you don't answer <laughs> the questions, Brent. Like you're fine. Um, it's 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 uh it's all good. Before we let you go, uh, anywhere people can follow you, social media, websites, anything. If people want to kind of follow you, you between now and and Milan at future events and everything along those yeah. lines. Um, I have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find that Brendan Corey AUS on all those all those platforms so um yep give me a give me a follow <laughs> still growing my my following it's still quite small so you can jump on the on the hype train before it was cool 
You're not on TikTok yet? Are you, are you on TikTok at all? No, or? no. I, I no. don't even know what I would do on TikTok. I, <laughs> I, I I'm still still have not downloaded TikTok on my phone yet just because I know I, I'll get addicted to it. So I'm just trying to avoid it now. <laughs> no, I'm just that old man who just says, oh, TikTok, that's a Kesha song, isn't it? Like, I, I don't know what it is. So um, you know, we're, we're not on TikTok, but uh, maybe one day. Uh, Brandon, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate your time sort of learning all about everything, your career and uh, the Olympic experiences that. And as I said, bookmark this. Remember this moment in your life, come Milan, when you got that gold medal around your neck. It's it's just everything has come full circle and you can thank us. You're welcome. <laughs> well, thank you for, for having me. It was a nice chat. And a massive thanks to Brendan there. No pressure going into Milan in four years' time to... Bring on the, the 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 spirit of Dale. Get the Dale Beg Smith connection inside there. Gold medal winning Australian born or Canadian born Australian in Italy. You know all the connections that I'm trying to go here. Again, I'm just I'm making no sense of this, but a lot of fun chatting to Brendan there. Next episode, actually, before I say next episode, if you want to see the video episode of this video interview of this YouTube search for it on there off the podium you will find it on there so you can see it at my face and you can see it at Brendan's face more importantly if you want to see the visual element of this interview as well next week we'll have another great guest on the show stay tuned to our social media and we will let you know who that is along the way and to do that on social media search for off the podium we're on Facebook we're on Twitter we're on Instagram we are on YouTube as I just mentioned and if you subscribe follow all those kind of things on those channels you will be able to stay up to date with everything that we do closely and that is how you will never miss an episode or never miss what is going on with off the podium and of course of course ben speak that language that you learned as a child it is called english well done you can subscribe to our show on all good podcast platforms search for off the podium wherever you listen to podcasts hit subscribe and you will never miss an episode and while you're there leave us some feedback say ben you really need to work on these intros and outros they're becoming worse bring back colin we like him he's better you can say that. I expect to see plenty of those comments as well. Uh, never miss an episode. Do that while we're there. And we also always like to hear your feedback in terms of not just that I'm shit, but who would you like on the show? Is there a certain Olympian that you would love us to interview? By all means, send us some suggestions, and we're always open to them. Now that we're an award-winning podcast, we have some sway now. So if you want Michael Phelps on tomorrow, we'll get Michael Phelps on tomorrow. We've just been holding him back. We've just been saying, no, Michael, not the time for you yet. Stop bombarding us with messages. It will happen one day. So uh, always open suggestions if you want to hit us up on social media or leave us a comment on one of the podcast channels and we would love to hear from you big thanks again to brendan for his time and a big thanks again to you the listener for tuning into the show my name is ben shout out to jason momoa and as always remember go left go left